Welcome to the Holden Village Podcast. Holden is a community of education, programming, and worship located in the remote wilderness of the Cascade Mountains. These snapshots provide a glimpse into the learnings taking place in our community. Let's tune in to this week's highlight. I'm Roland Emetaw. Most people call me Mr. M. I spent 38 years in wildland recreation management in the Forest Service. I was working in the regional office in the Pacific Northwest region of the Forest Service. And one of my assignments then was to do feasibility studies on potential ski areas in the Northwest. And quickly I found out a lot of these sites had horrendous avalanche problems. I didn't know the difference between a snowball and an avalanche. So they sent me off to get training. And so that's how I got some knowledge about snow and avalanches. So initially, my first contact at Holland Village related to this, it was back in uh, the middle 70s. A fellow by the name of Ray Courtney used to measure the snow course at Lyman Lake. That snow course was managed by Chelan County PUD. Every winter, uh, Ray Courtney would ski all the way in there, do the measurements, come out. These snow courses are located all over the the mountainous area of the Northwest. Some are managed by power companies, others are managed by uh, irrigation companies. It's to determine uh, the amount of snowpack and the amount of water in that snowpack for irrigation purposes and power purposes, primarily. So anyhow, every winter, Ray would ski in there numerous times, set schedule to do the measurement, Schland PUD got concerned about the safety of Ray, and they made a proposal to use helicopter to access the snow course and do the measurement. Well, that's within the wilderness. It's in the Glacier Peak Wilderness, and motorized activity in wilderness is not permitted, and the only way you can get it permitted is through approval from the forest supervisor. So that's how I got involved to come and go in with Ray and determine the avalanche danger. This is the first time I came to Holden Village to meet Ray. I think I spent the night here. This is probably 1977, somewhere around in there. We skied up Railroad Creek and there used to be a cabin at Lyman Lake for the snow course people. And we spent the night there. We next day we did the measurement and spent another night there. And next day we skied out. And my determination was that Ray Courtney was very qualified. Biggest danger was avalanche, natural avalanches releasing and coming down and crossing Railroad Creek, the route he'd take. And he was knowledgeable enough to know when to go and not go. But anyhow, they didn't listen to me. They proved <laughs> helicopter access. Today, it's completely different. They use uh, satellite access to get the information. That was my first contact with Holden Village, and uh, many years later, I'm on an incident management team. We do wildfire and other stuff, and it happened to be we're on an incident at uh, Deep Harbor down uh, Lake Chelan. At some point during that incident, the fire, the incident was moving up lake, and there was concern about evacuation of Holden Village. The incident commander and operations person on the team decided to go 
come up to Holden Village to meet with the staff up here and determine whether or not there's going to be evacuation and how it would be handled. There's probably 500 people staying at the village in the middle of summer. I figured that you know evacuating 500 people would be a media event, and I was the information officer on the team, so that's why I came up. So we had our meeting, and um, we're waiting to go back down Lake, and I was sitting on the loading dock with uh, Christopher Hughes' operation person for the village. And here I was, you know, 80 degrees, sitting there on the loading dock, and I was looking across the valley at, you know, all these avalanche paths, and I asked uh, Christopher, does anyone ever come up here and uh, do avalanche awareness for the, you know, staff and visitors? Oh, he said once, oh, a couple of times there's been someone up here. And so I, I told Christopher, well, I'd be willing to come up. That was uh, probably 04. That winter was the first time it came up, winter of 04, 05. And I've been coming up ever since. Initially, it was... Um, just one trip up here, and now in recent years it's been uh, one trip, usually in December, to do an awareness presentation for staff, and then in January when they have J-term, the village wants me to scare them, because <laughs> these people from the Midwest, they know snow and they know cold, but they don't know snow on a slope, and they come with ski boards and they want to go out and play. So that's how it got started. Fantastic. So far, that's a great backstory. When did NWAC start? I mean, because you were, you helped found it? Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, director. And, and I'm, I'm curious, also, maybe some of the improvements you've seen in terms of avalanche awareness or education, and then some of the things you'd hope for. Because I, I remember you saying yesterday, European countries in like the Alps, or they might have more education towards kids. Yeah. Um, in 1976, uh, WASHDOT, the Washington Department of Transportation, was having all kinds of issues with snowfall on the passes and snow removal and avalanches. So they put together a contract with uh, the University of Washington to develop a mountain weather and avalanche forecasting scheme. It was completed. University of Washington presented it back to WASHDOT, and WASHDOT said, this is great. Who's going to run this program? Well, we had a meeting with all the different agencies, Forest Service, um, University of Washington, National Park Service. So anyhow, all agencies, everyone said we'd cooperate. And I happened to just happened to be at that meeting representing the Forest Service, because at that time I was in the regional office. And no one said they wanted to run the program because they all had specific, you know, WashDOT was just interested in the highways. Uh, the Park Service was just interested in the national parks, and they kept saying, well, the Forest Service has most to benefit. So anyhow, I went back to the regional office and I talked to the deputy regional forester, and he said, go for it. And that's when it got started. Essentially, in 1978, uh, it began. Uh, the two forecasters were uh, students at the University of Washington. They became the first two forecasters of the program. They worked and still do in the Weather Service Forecast Office in at Sandpoint, Seattle. So the Weather Service was a primary partner as well. So that's how it got started. I'm still involved. I helped deliver this. Over the years, there's been 
why are we doing this program? Does it fit our mission and stuff like that? So, so I jump in, keep it alive. And now uh, there's a, a very strong board on the nonprofit portion, nonprofit wing of uh, NWAC. And uh, so they, they got a, there's a lot of strength behind it today. The nonprofit part of NWAC is pushing education. So they got a very strong education program in the Northwest, and part of that program is teaching young children. So in the school systems, in some areas, like in Bellingham, Washington, there are some avalanche awareness programs in the school system. It's just very spotty, while in Europe, a lot more extensive in countries like Switzerland and you know the Alp countries, uh, France and Germany and Italy. So here it's it's slow coming, but you know I think it's going to progress. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, you're obviously the education and awareness leads to saving lives. I've been doing avalanche awareness education from the '70s, and during that time. I've had two people come back to me and say, hey, Mr. M, I remember something, some things you said in your presentation, and I attribute it to saving my life. And that's huge. I mean, that's huge payment. And, you know, I do it as a volunteer. I feel that, you know, the community is good to me. I want to give back to the community, sort of like paying rent. So, What should people know related to awareness well, when they go out? Whether it's at here or at the you know, at the village or other locations, I think, you know, people should do some thinking, some planning before they go on the trip. Check the avalanche forecast. And here at the village, they're checked every day and posted on the bulletin board, as well as the weather forecast. I mean, those are critical. The avalanche forecast is a regional forecast. It isn't slope-specific. Even though you get this information, you've got to make some determinations when you're out there because the regional forecast might not be the same as that particular slope you want to ski on. Again, check out the terrain on a map before you go out there. Look for terrain you should avoid as terrain that's between 30 and 45 degrees in steepness. 38 degrees is optimum for avalanche release. Most of the victims in accidents uh, were on a 38 degree slope. And that's worldwide information. You know, I think also it's very important to evaluate your group. You know, are they physically capable? Have they got the right equipment? Probe, shovel, and beacon, avalanche beacon, are the three critical pieces of equipment to carry with you. Another aspect is, do you have someone in the group that's a, a macho person that, that wants to drag the group to where they shouldn't be going. So you got to look at that. And then it's really important when you're out there to look at your group and have a lot of conversation, constant conversation. You know, are you hearing um, things or are you seeing things that you need to be concerned about? And a lot of times some people that are very qualified, very experienced, uh, will miss something where someone that's very new, hardly ever been out, picks up on. So the group needs to l listen to that person. If that person has concerns, that should be the group concern. 
but that doesn't always happen because you got some macho people in the group. Oh, well, you know, it's not a problem. During the trip, you need to be watching the weather. Are temperatures increasing rapidly? Are you getting additional snowfall? You know, temperatures increase. Uh, the top layer gets more dense and potential for avalanche release. If you get constant snowfall and it's high density snow, potentially that could release. So you got to be watching that as you travel. Wind, you know, if there's a lot of wind, wind is transporting the snow from the windward side of the ridge to the leeward side of the ridge, and maybe you need to avoid those lee side ridges. Do you hear whooping sounds as you're skiing? The whooping is a indication that the snow on top of the weak layer is collapsing and making that sound. If you got shooting cracks going out in front of your skis or snowshoes, that's an indication of potential fracture, a slab release, so you better turn around. Have another trip alternative in case you run into situations. Pick another way. You know, avalanches are the problem. Terrain is the solution. If you're concerned about avalanches, find less uh, challenging terrain. There's plenty of terrain out there that's not a concern for avalanches. And also be thinking about uh, natural releases that might come down, even though you're on flat terrain. And that's typical here at Holden Villages. If you go up Railroad Creek, it's flat, no worry. A human release of an avalanche going up Railroad Creek, the concern is avalanches coming down on either one side or the other and crossing your route. The avalanche paths are pretty, you can see them, they're you can identify them. They're openings, and probably you don't want to sit down and eat your lunch in one of those openings. Mm-hmm. And again, if you're checking the forecast and uh, the avalanche forecast and the weather forecast, you can pretty well determine whether you're going to have natural releases or not. So the Ten Commandments of low-risk travel on the snow. You know, I didn't dream them up. It's actually thought my name, Bruce Tremper. Uh, first. Thou shalt go one at a time and leave someone in a safe spot to do the rescue. Second, thou shalt have an escape route pre-planned. It's really important to be looking for a place to go if something happens. Third, thou shalt never go first. Fourth, thou shalt never trust a cornice. Fifth, thou shalt be obsessed with consequences. Sixth, thou shalt start small and work your way up. Seventh, thou shalt communicate. Eighth, this I stuck my own in here, thou shalt not go alone. Ninth, thou shalt use the right equipment. And tenth, thou shalt remember, terrain, terrain, terrain. Do you still get out and do skiing? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Mr. M, you're a, uh, a model of health. Oh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I used to downhill, and now... I don't do anything crazy. I'm, I pretty much all I do is go out and poke holes in the snow. What's some of your most memorable outings in the Cascades? Oh, I don't know. We, um, I was with a, a bunch of, of climbers a long time ago. We did a first ascent on Glacier Peak. It was the first ascent on that particular route. You know, the trip going up to Lyman Lake with uh, Ray Courtney was pretty cool trip and yeah. beautiful weather some of the 
memorable were, you know, were related to like that accident I talk about with the University of Puget Sound. Uh, Mount St. Helens? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I mean, there's all, all kinds of things connected with it, not just the being on the snow. It was had the connection with the, the county sheriff because the county sheriff's a responsibility for search and rescue on national forest lands, mm-hmm. at least in the Northwest. I don't know about countrywide. So when that accident happened, uh, since there was an avalanche, and you know, in 1975, no one had probes, no one had beacons, nothing. I had, I had probes, but, and I don't think the beacons had been invented yet. So the county sheriff was involved with the rescue, called Mountain Rescue. Mountain Rescue didn't have probes. Deputy that I'd worked with before contacted me, and so I went out and went to the, the parking area, which no longer exists, on the north side of Mount St. Helens. This was way before the eruption. And there's a National Guard helicopter there. And the deputy said he wanted me to get on, go up there on the helicopter. Well, uh, Forest Service has pretty strict rules what kind of ships you can go on. And so I wasn't supposed to fly on those things. He said, get in. And so I went up there to help with the rest. Well, the district ranger came out shortly after and the district ranger knew I was there. And so he asked Ray Blaisdell, who was the deputy, well, how did M get up there? Oh, he walked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then it happened again. I was the information officer at the, after Mount St. Helens erupted at the rescue site, at Toledo Airport, it's on the north side of Mount St. Helens. I mean, it was big time. I mean, there was media from all over the world. BBC London was there, Paris TV, Tokyo TV, and a yeah, hundred media. Wow. And there I was alone. Wow. Well, anyhow, uh, the media was flying through the clo- there was air closure, and they were sneaking in and helicopters. They are paying helicopter pilots big bucks to sneak in the closure to go into Spirit Lake. Uh-huh. And they knew more than I did, so I told them, the same deputy. I told him, hey, Ray, you know, they know more than I do. He said, you're going to be on the next rescue ship going into Spirit Lake. He said, you know, I'm not supposed to fly in those things. He pulled out his sidearms. You get on, well, what could I do? (laughs) So, you know, things like that. They're all memorable experiences. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to view the links in the description for more information or visit our website to find out more about the village. We hope you will make a pilgrimage to Holden. Blessings and peace to you.